Welcome back to my podcast. In this episode, we will discuss current methods being used in Australia to thwart the pressures of deforestation. Forest policy is formulated and applied at the federal, state, and territorial levels in Australia. However, land conservation is mostly the responsibility of state and territorial governments. The National Forest Policy Statement, also known as the NFPS, was signed by the Australian state and territorial governments in 1992. It has served as a forum for governments to collaborate in order to fulfill their visions for sustainable forest management in Australia while meeting community aspirations. Negotiation of regional forest agreements between the Australian government and several state governments was a core component of the NFPS solution. Regional forest agreements are 20-year strategies used to conserve and maintain Australia's natural forests in a sustainable manner. They are intended to offer certainty to forest-based businesses and populations while still achieving environmental goals. The Illegal Logging Prohibition Act was passed by the Australian Parliament in 2012, making it illegal to bring illegitimately logged timber into the Australian market and to handle timber that has been unlawfully harvested in Australia. Illegal deforestation is a big problem in Australia and spurs the degradation of forests, destroys wildlife and habitats, jeopardizes long-term livelihoods, and leads to global carbon pollution. The Illegal Logging Prohibition Act ensures the buying and selling of lawfully logged timber products in Australia, leveling the playing field between customers and companies. It also allows consumers and businesses more trust in the legitimacy of the timber products they buy. Plantation's 2020 vision is a joint collaboration between the Australian state and territorial governments, as well as the plantation timber growing and processing industries. Its overriding philosophy is to encourage a sustainable rise in the size of Australia's plantation estates in order to boost regional wealth generation and international competitiveness. Unfortunately, since 2015, the Australian government has invested more than $1.5 million billion in climate change programs that reconstruct or conserve natural habitats. It has also invested about $62 million over a somewhat longer period on a policy to plant 20 million trees in Australia's most endangered forests. Simultaneously, the country has ramped up land clearing programs in many provinces, bulldozing thousands of hectares of trees, mostly for agricultural purposes. Land clearance would wipe away the $1.5 billion in taxpayer funding dedicated to restoring natural habitats in just over two years. After a period of relative stagnation, a large uptick in land clearance started in 2013 when Queensland's Campbell Newman's Liberal National Government eased rules prohibiting widespread deforestation. In order to learn more about what the Australian government is currently doing to impede deforestation and rectify its recent boost in land clearing programs, we turn to Greg Kerr, an Australian ecologist working at Nature Clinic Trust. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please enjoy a quick break before the interview starts. Why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do at your job? I'm an ecologist. 
I work with a group called Nature Glenelg Trust. That the main work that we do centres around uh, wetland restoration and restoring natural flows to streams, uh, that sort of thing. As a not-for-profit organisation, we obtain funding through grants. We do work as consultants, um, so we have expertise in a lot of environmental areas. And one of the areas that I've been working on is working with community to get citizen science projects going. So I've been running courses to train people uh, to do bird monitoring and uh, teach them how to identify the birds across the region and uh, how to go out and do monitoring programs and and working with our uh, national parks group in Victoria to help them set up citizen science programs there. Also consulting for government, so I'm uh, just about to start a project where I'm reviewing the duck hunting programs that they have in South Australia and the quail hunting and looking at other governments do across Australia and other parts of the world and then making recommendations about work that they should do to, to upgrade their, their system of monitoring and how they determine the hunting levels that are sustainable. So my next question that I had is, off the top of your head, what are a few of the methods that you are using in Australia to currently combat deforestation? Um, the challenge has been that legislation doesn't always stop or, or curb clearance. In fact, it's been ongoing despite legislation for uh, probably the last 30 years. On top of that, we have the realisation that a lot of the clearing is strongly linked to um, economics. So where farmers' commodity prices or increased cattle prices or things like that, then the level of clearance tends to go up. And then we have a political element to it that has the the more right-leaning governments that we're getting supporting a lot more uh, clearance, despite the evidence that leads to greater biodiversity loss and despite the evidence that it's actually having impacts on, for example, climate change issues. Uh, the, the biggest clearing is uh, happening in Queensland. It accounts for probably 90% of what happened in Australia and it's uh, happening under a, a Labor government. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that there has been legislation put in place by the state governments, our federal government doesn't have any powers in that respect and each state government differs. For example, in New South Wales, legislation has changed five times over the last 40 years and currently it's changed in a way that has enabled more clearing to take place uh, in that uh, for particular nominated vegetation types, the farmers, landowners don't have to seek permits to to carry out the clearance of both regrowth and old growth. So uh, there's a need for legislation to be enacted that is more stringent, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, In Victoria, uh, we've had 
since uh, about 1989, 1990, there's been a um, Planning and Environment Act that, that's had native vegetation retention as a key outcome. And you need a permit to to remove or destroy native vegetation. And that sort of stopped clearing effectively in Victoria, although we're still in a situation where no net negative loss is not really happening. Um, we have offsets put aside, but they're usually protecting areas that already exist. It, and so an area is cleared and an offset set aside, but we haven't actually had a gain as a consequence of it. The, the other side of it has been uh, use of things like carbon credits, but our federal government, which has more control over things like carbon credits, has not only in a, a very slow and simplistic way, and the politics of it federally uh, has seen that being pushed, and that would be a way to protect existing vegetation where a, a landholder could get benefits from it. Um, probably the, the main challenge there is that um, in order to get the carbon credits, you have to plan a long way ahead, and a lot of groups aren't able to do that. Uh, we, we have had legislation at various stages that has given tax breaks to groups who go out and plant things like bluegum plantations. Um, so plantations are put onto existing farmland. They haven't been well-crafted, and what has happened as a consequence of, of things like the bluegum plantations has been people will come in and plant them on land that they purchase, which drives up land prices, and then they will plant them pretty much anywhere because they get the tax break when they've planted the trees. But we do have lots of groups in Australia that are doing lots of revegetation programs, and those groups are doing quite well, but they tend to be private, not-for-profit organisations, uh, and the vegetation they're putting in tends to be native vegetation appropriate to the area, and they're, they're doing good things with the providence of seeds, where they're taking seeds from areas that are drier and mixing them in with the local seeds so that they're pre-adapting areas to the climate change. And, and there's a, a bigger movement in Australia now with a lot of farmers changing their land management, and that, that change has seen some really good outcomes where we're starting to see people retaining water more in the landscape. And that's, that's her. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, what, the last question I had for you is, what other sustainable practices do you think we should be using or what would you like to see implemented in the future? I'd like to see government actively stepping in and starting to fund programs that uh, are costly, more costly, that reverse landscape degradation, projects that aim to rewild areas, that is, restore species that have been lost from areas, but also type of work we're doing where you're restoring wetlands in areas that have been drained in a lot of southeastern Australia. We've lost 
probably about two-thirds of the wetlands and the remaining one-third, probably about 80% of them are compromised in some way with drains through them and that sort of thing. So we need programs where farmers who want to do the right things uh, are not seriously impacted financially um, and the large proportion of our population that live in cities really need to start to support the farmers directly rather than just through um, the purchase of goods, which they're always trying to do at a, a minimum cost. And, and there are moves to change how we set up our farms, particularly the intensive areas where we've got entire farms that are subject to really intense practices uh, over many, many years. We need to change that sort of approach. And one of the key things is to start thinking about the proportion of the land that's set aside that is under native vegetation. And there's papers out now that are looking at, at sort of landscape level approaches where you think about getting natural vegetation on probably about 30% of the land in the area and connecting it all up through the farms and you might have another 30% of the land that is under intensive agriculture. But then the, the remaining 40%, you, you have areas that are, are forested but have grazing under them and things like that and areas that are uh, intermittently grazed. Well, thank you so much for just, again, taking time out of your day to be able to talk to me. I think this was a really insightful discussion and it's definitely going to help me with my project. <laughs> a big shout out to Mr. Care for finding time to conduct this interview with me despite the time gap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for the last one.